Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Let me add my welcome to Chris's. Good morning, a very warm welcome to Forward. On this rather soggy morning, it is good to be gathered. We have before us wonderful words, words to lift our hearts and give us joy as we look together at Luke chapter 1. And so if you've closed your Bibles, do grab them again. We're on page 1026 of the Pew Bibles. And also you might find it helpful to have to hand this yellow uh, outline that will give you a guide of where we're going in the next few moments. That might just be helpful, and particularly if you're taking notes, to have that to hand. A few months ago, the Sunday Times published its latest rich list for 2018, and amongst all the incredibly wealthy people on that list, one particular name really stood out. Akshay Rupalia is only 19, but he is already a multi-millionaire, and he is the youngest ever person to feature on the Sunday Times rich list. This week I watched a short video interviewing him about how he had been so successful so young, and it's quite a remarkable video. He's annoyingly well-rounded. He's, he's um, personable and sharp and insightful and full of vision and drive. And uh, you can see why he's been so successful. This morning, we are going to think about what a successful like, life looks like. And I reckon many people today, if they saw Ashke Rupalia, we reckon that life looks a bit like that if it's successful. I don't mind saying that as I watched the video, I kind of wished I was him for around four minutes this week. Well, look, if it's not money, then maybe for others it's academic success. I'm aware that um, many of you have sat exams, you're waiting for the results over the summer. There'll be many others who arrive in this city over the next few weeks who've come for further education. And for many, education is the great barometer for a successful life. That's why we're so anxious often about our exam results. Maybe it's uh, family. How many parents gauge the success of their own life based on how they think the lives of their children are turning out? Others here today have spent decades trying to live a successful life, but now, later on in our lives, we look back over what we've done and we wondered if we have lived a successful life. Often as I sit with those who are very much in the last days of their life, they often are plagued by that question. Have I lived a successful life? There's our question this morning. What does a successful life look like? And we're going to see this morning that the difference between absolute success and complete disaster ultimately boils down to just one thing. Over the summer, as Chris said here at Ford, we're, we're looking at the Christmas story. And we are doing that deliberately in the summer to get away from the confusion of the tinsel and the, the clutter and the presents and so on, to, to focus in on the real heart of what the Christmas story is all about. And last week, we heard about an angel who appeared to Mary and announced that she would give birth to a baby. His name would be Jesus. And this morning, we are going to see the difference between success and disaster has nothing to do with 
how much money we earn or what results we get in our exams or how our children turn out in life or our reputation, but rather only and absolutely our response to the baby born to Mary. This morning, the the camera stays with Mary. We see first her visit to Elizabeth, one of her relatives, and then we see a, a song that follows after the visit. And both moments show us the right way to respond to the baby about to be born to Mary. I will spend much more time on Mary's song, but as we begin, first of all, and more briefly, on the handout you'll see, Mary's visit, what faith looks like. We pick up the story right after Mary has received some shocking news from the angel. She is unmarried, she is a virgin, never slept with a man, but she's going to give birth to a baby. We might imagine her responding in disbelief. How can a virgin give birth to a baby? Or maybe denial, trying to carry on with life, pretending that what she had heard hadn't happened. Or maybe despair, melting into a flood of tears because of the coming scandal as the news broke. But, but Mary does none of these things. Instead, verse 39, at that time Mary got ready and, and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. The journey from Mary's home in Nazareth up north uh, down to the hill country in Judea, just south of Jerusalem, was around 80 to 100 miles. Quite a significant journey to make back then with no public transport, poor roads, and remember, Mary's in the first few weeks of her pregnancy. So why would she make such a, a hurried journey so far south? Well, to visit her relative Elizabeth, verse 40. And she goes because she believes the angel's message from last week. Remember the words we heard? It wasn't just Mary who's about to give birth to a baby miraculously. No, her elderly relative Elizabeth, who is past childbearing age, who herself has been barren her whole life, now miraculously she too is pregnant. And Mary rushes down to visit Elizabeth because she believes that when she gets there she'll find the angel was right. Why would she bother going otherwise? And of course, when she gets there, her decision to go is more than vindicated. Elizabeth is pregnant, verse 41. Her baby leaps in the womb as Mary arrives. And then Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, reaffirms the very promises Mary had received from the angel. And the big point we're meant to understand from this visit is given to us in verse 45. Here's Elizabeth's Divine insight and summary of of Mary's actions. Verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Mary takes God at his word. Many people today, including some Christians, are confused about what faith looks like. Many think faith is a a feeling, some kind of religious experience. But if we don't have that feeling, then we must not have any faith. But here in Luke 1, Mary's example shows us what it means to have faith. She heard a promise from God, and she believed the promise. 
in just a few moments towards the end of our meeting, um, I think Chris will say this. I haven't asked Chris yet if he will say this, but I think he'll say at the end of our meeting that uh, there'll be tea and coffee served across the way and that you'd be very welcome to join us if you can. Um, that's not meant to be a leading um, comment, Chris, but uh, he said it many times in the past. It's there on our service seat. I assume he will say it in just a moment. Now, when you hear the invitation of come across for tea and coffee from Chris, we all have a decision to make. Do we believe him? Or is he teasing us on a cold morning with a promise of a hot beverage? If you believe Chris, then you will head across and look forward to a hot drink but with confidence. That's what faith looks like. You hear a promise and you believe. Now you might think, well, hang on a minute. I'm new here. I don't know Chris at all. He might be a truthful guy, but he might be a scoundrel. I have no idea. How can I believe his promise? And it's a fair question. Why believe someone we can't believe? And we come to the God of the Bible. Many people think, well, I know his promises, but I don't think he's worth believing. And that is why we are in a better position than even Mary. Because we live on the other side of history from Mary. She heard some promises from God and she believed, but she hadn't had as much evidence as we do now. We look back on Mary's story and we discover that the promise about Elizabeth having a baby in her old age, well, it it came true. And more than that, we now know that Mary's promise about she having a baby, even though she's a virgin, we know that that promise came true as well. Indeed, if we go through the Bible again and again and again, we find God making a promise to his people. And he's kept every promise. And if you haven't done this before, I encourage you to go back to those very first moments in the, in the Christmas story and look at the historical evidence for what happened. They are mind-blowing examples of God's faithfulness to his promise. There was a baby called Jesus. He was born to a virgin Mary. And Luke wants us to be like Mary, who hears God's promise concerning this baby Jesus. And when we hear the promise, we believe because we can believe the one who gave the promise. God is trustworthy. It's a very simple point, but we must get it clear in our minds. This is what faith looks like. This is the right response to the first Christmas message, simply trusting God, the one who has always kept his promises. So why is having this kind of faith, this kind of reaction to the baby Jesus, why is that the key to living a successful life? That seems to be what marks Mary out. She believes God's promises. Why is that the key for all of us here this morning? Well, it takes it on to our second point. We'll spend much more time now, and we come to Mary's song, What Faith Sees. Mary, full of confidence in God's promises, bursts into a song that has become one of the most famous songs in the Bible, if not the course of human history. And in her song, Mary sings about the implications for a person who has faith. And I want us to see this morning two huge implications. First of all, notice on the handout the blessings that come from trusting God. You can't, you, can't, you can't really miss Mary's mood, can you, as she sings? The song is full of praise and, and thanksgiving. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. 
Why? Verse 48. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servants. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary is just a normal girl from a small, unremarkable town. And yet she understands that because of this baby being born to her, she will be exalted, called blessed forevermore. When Kate married Will, she was elevated from a relatively normal family to become part of the royal family. And when Kate gave birth to George, she became the mother of the baby who will probably one day sit on the throne of England. And so she is rightly honored. But the honor due to Kate, Duchess of Cambridge, is nothing compared to the honor due to Mary. For the baby born to Kate is nothing compared to the baby born to Mary. Mary understands that the baby born to her is not just a king of a nation for some time, but the king of kings over the whole world forever. And not just king, he is the savior of God's people, including even Mary, verse 47. And so at one level, Mary's story is a story of a young girl who gets pregnant out of marriage and gives birth to a baby. That's all true and accurate. But Mary knows because she believes God's promise that at another level, what is happening through her pregnancy will define the course of history forever. And so Mary has moved from a a humble, lowly state to a place of great blessing and honor. But notice, and this is so important, Mary does not sing the song to make herself the hero of these great events. No, she sings the song to point us to the true hero who is God himself. He is the mighty one, do you notice? Holy is his name, not Mary's name. He is the one who's done these great things for Mary. Sadly, some have been confused about why Mary is called blessed from these verses, thinking that somehow she lived a a sinless life or somehow plays a role in the salvation of others. But, But notice, Mary is still in need of a savior just as much as any other person. She is a humble sinner who has been exalted only because of God's mercy. So Mary is able to see in the events of her life more than just a virgin becoming pregnant, but rather a moment of great exaltation and glory and thanksgiving. Then she moves from the particular experience of blessing that she has to how the Lord works for all people who trust in him, including us here today if we are believers. Verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from from generation to generation. It has always been the case that God's mercy is not earned, nor is it unpredictable, but rather freely and consistently given to those who fear him. That is, to those who take his words seriously, giving him due honor and respect, just as Mary has done. Well, verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones but is lifted up the humble. As we look back over the course of human history, we see this happening again and again. Think of the mighty King Pharaoh, King of Egypt, who thought that he could go um, toe-to-toe with the Lord. But Pharaoh was brought down. He was destroyed 
Later on, think of the mighty Assyrian Empire, defeated by the Babylonians. The Babylonians then defeated by the Medes and Persians. Think of the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire, the Ottoman Empire, the British Empire, and so too for every empire. There is a hand on the tiller of history who is relentlessly opposed to rulers who set themselves up against the Lord, and one day every such arrogant ruler will be brought down. It has always been the case in the past. And Mary understands that through the birth of this baby that she's about to give birth to, that reversal will come to its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. For he is the king of kings who rules over every ruler. She continues, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. This may be a reference to physical hunger, Certainly in the Bible, there are examples of the Lord wonderfully filling hungry people. Think of manna that came from heaven in the desert. But there is more to this hunger than just physical need. There is a a spiritual hunger dimension here, an awareness of our own need without God. We can never be truly satisfied, always longing for more. And for those who cry out with spiritual hunger, the Lord delights to meet our cry. And so in Mary's song, we see a law at work, a way of life, a truth, a principle as as clear and as consistent as gravity, which is true for all people everywhere for all time, that for those who trust in God, there is great blessing. God responds to them with mercy, with a, a lifting up, with a filling of hungry stomachs. And this baby, Jesus, about to be born to Mary, he is the one through whom God accomplishes this great blessing. He is the one through whom mercy will come to those who fear God. He is the one who um, lifts up the humble, bringing us into a royal family and clothing us with great riches. He is the one who feeds us spiritually for those who are hungry. And so Christian, this morning, take heart if you have believed God's promise concerning Jesus, then you are living a truly successful life. It can be hard to believe it, content when we look around at the world today, when we see people around us enjoying the fruits of wealth, enjoying houses and luxury and holidays and enjoying how hard work leads to promotion and and glory, how uh, people revel in the glory of exam results and bask in the praise that people give them when that happens. When we look at other families that seem so normal or well-rounded and we we think, have I been a rubbish parent? Uh, There are all kinds of ways in which we might think that we are on the wrong side of history. We think we've missed out or failed, that we are somehow unsuccessful in life. But Mary's song says to the humble, God-fearing Christian, rejoice. Because in the Lord Jesus, the baby born to Mary, you have been made rich, you've been filled, you've been lifted. And when Christ returns, then we will see fully why the life of faith is the truly successful life. When he welcomes us into his kingdom, and feeds us at his banqueting table 
and shows us internal mercies. And so Christian, take heart. Hardwired into the very fabric of the universe by the God himself is this reality. A humble, mercy-seeking, weak, empty person who comes to God will be lifted up. The blessings that come from trusting God. But before I finish, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't also put this in the negative and show you the other side of the coin. And we must see the futility of ignoring God. I've hinted at this already, but did you notice what happens to those who don't trust and fear God? Verse 51, he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Think of the Tower of Babel, a mighty human project to show off the power and splendor of what humans can do without God, and yet God scattered them. And so too, every human project born out of arrogance, God will not allow it to succeed. I think if we are honest, we often tend to view pride as one of the more respectable sins. We might think, you know, it's not one of the biggies, like murder or rape. Or, um, it's not one of the kind of more public ones, like drunkenness or, or a bad temper. It's very easy to spot a bad-tempered person, isn't it? God here talks about pride in the innermost thoughts of a person. Perhaps then when it comes to being in our small group and we're sharing things that we're struggling with, we we might think that it's okay perhaps to, um, well, let's not share the really big stuff we're struggling with, but let's share things like pride, self-reliance, you know, the kind of more respectable things that we struggle with. But God opposes the proud. He scatters them. Pride is extraordinarily serious. I went on um, Amazon this week, and uh, this isn't meant to plug, there are other options for buying books, Um, uh, but I did look under the book section, and I searched for titles tagged self-esteem, and I got over 50,000 hits for different titles on self-esteem. I did the same for the the, the tag humility, and I got less than 2,000 hits. Our culture thinks very little of humility and a very great deal of self-esteem. But Mary's song shows us that true security is not found in trying to think much of ourselves, but rather thinking very much of our powerful and saving God. Mary continues, verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. I've mentioned how at a national level we've seen rulers being brought down. But I wonder, for us here today, just to make it more personal, that it's good for us to see that in other people, but I think in the last 10 years, with the rise of social media and the way our culture encourages us to be our own person, be true to our feelings, let no one tell you what's right and wrong, only you can decide what's true for you where we broadcast who we are to the world and we do so brazenly as if this is me, accept me for who I am. I wonder if that's the kind of attitude that Mary talks about. 
that the rulers of our own little kingdoms, when we try to sit on the throne of our own lives, deciding what is right and wrong in our own little patch, when we refuse to let anyone else tell us what is right and wrong, I wonder if that is also part of what Mary is talking about, that one day those who try to sit on the throne of our lives will be brought down as well. Finally, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. I have no idea what Akshay Rupalia thinks about God, but as much as I would like to be him and to enjoy his gifts and his money, it is better by far to be financially poor but to trust in Jesus than to be financially rich and to reject Jesus. Because a day is coming when financial wealth will be worth nothing and knowing Jesus and trusting in him will be worth everything. And I don't think it's too, going too far to say that often financial wealth can be a reason that stops us from trusting in God in the first place. You see, when we have lots of money in the bank account, it gives us a false sense of security. It, it helps to inflate our pride to make us more self-reliant. Why would we trust in God when we've got our, our bank account? Isn't that what the rich young ruler discovered when he would not give up his money to follow Jesus? I'm not saying it's wrong to be rich, nor am I saying there's anything glorious or noble about being poor. But we need to keep watch. Be careful that our money does not make us proud. I take it that none of us want to live a futile or unsuccessful life. We want to live well, do we not? We want to look back over our lives and say, yes, that has been a successful life. Luke 1 gives us the crucial answer to what makes a truly successful life. A life of faith. A life that humbly, fearfully accepts God's promise about King Jesus. And one day when he returns and when the proud are humbled and the humbled are lifted up, then we will fully see why such a life of faith is the only truly successful life. Let me pray. Father, we do want to praise you this morning, as Mary did, for the character that we see revealed to us in your plans and promises. We thank you for the Lord Jesus, this baby born to Mary, who is the King of kings, the Savior of the world, the defining point of history. Father, we thank you that simply by clinging to him, trusting the promises about him, we are blessed, we are rich, we are lifted up. We have everything. Please help us to believe that. And Father, please this morning, help us to lovingly, kindly speak out about this baby, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have a very different view of success in your kindness, would you help many others to come and see that the Lord Jesus is the one person we need to bow before. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.